little bit more. A little bit more. How about that? Honestly, that's pretty good, right? Get myself turned down in my monitoring. Yeah, I hope I wasn't as I hope I wasn't too quiet last time. Too quiet is the worst because you can always turn it down, but uh, if it's too too quiet, there's no fixing it. I'm a mess today. As you may know, by the way, smile, welcome, welcome back, I should say. Androgynous smile says, "Heyo, glad to join the stream tonight. I am glad for you to be here." I'm out of water. This is not our regular time. Usually we'd be on Sundays. What? Do you hear the chaos surrounding me right now? Good grief. There's a car going off out one window. Kids screaming out the other window. It's like children of men out here. Androgynous Smile says, where you're at, where you are at right now is pretty good. Okay, fantastic. So, we had a change. As a matter of fact, I should change my little, uh, my little text box here because for the time being, we are not going to be Sundays at 6 p.m. Let's see. Let's try changing this to Thursdays. So, for the time being, Thursdays at 6 p.m. Things might continue to get adjusted around. It's, you know, it's kind of up in the air right now. Uh, work has gotten a bit busier on Sundays recently, so I am I'm making do with uh, the timing that I've got instead of just sort of canceling the whole thing altogether. Now, quick reminder for anyone who doesn't like all the intro stuff, wants to get straight to the reading. If you are listening to the VOD, go ahead and skip until you see art. For right now, I am the only beautiful, beautiful piece of art you're going to be able to see. As per usual, we're going to start with a quick summary of what we did last week. In between chapters, I have something, uh, something interesting to show you related to a certain individual named Ike. Now, people who have been around before know who Ike is, but we have, I believe, our big update with Ike today. We'll get to that between chapters. So, last time on Sidecar Stories, Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire. Find my spot here. Uh, so essentially things went crazy at the Quidditch World Cup. Absolutely insane. Um, there are muggles being, um, essentially attacked. I mean, they're, they're, they're levitated above the, uh, the, the camping grounds here. Um, it would seem that there are a group of just angry individuals out. Uh, at first, Harry doesn't understand necessarily who these people are. Um, that is until a large sign appears above the forest. It's a skull, 
with a snake coming out of it and wrapping around it like a large tongue. And um, in the ensuing, you know, period after after um, Mr. Weasley and his oldest sons go and try to quell this thing happening, um, when they all regroup, Mr. Weasley explains that uh, this sign was the sign of Voldemort himself. Voldemort and his group of uh, followers. Now there's an additional complication, and that is that they find someone that they suspect of uh, casting this sign. Now there's argument back and forth, but Winky the house elf, this is Mr. Crouch's house elf, Mr. Crouch being uh, a Ministry of Magic official, idolized by Percy, Percy Weasley. She is found immediately underneath where the spell was cast, the spell to, to conjure this symbol, um, with a wand. Now, A, house elves aren't supposed to have wands, and B, it was Harry's wand. Not only that, but they, uh, there's, a, there's a spell, priori incantatum, that can be used to determine the last spell cast by a particular wand, and they determined that Harry's wand was in fact used to cast this spell. Now, uh, Harry, Ron, and Hermione heard whoever cast this spell, and it was a, a deep voice, a low voice, nothing like Winky's voice. They insist, but Mr. Crouch insists that uh, Mr. Crouch uh, won't listen to them, and he determines that he is going to punish Winky anyway. At this point, Hermione has had an awful lot to say about the treatment of house elves, and she is pretty much right on the mark, but... She isn't being listened to very carefully by most of her companions. In the in the days afterward, it's chaos at the Ministry of Magic. Obviously, um, people are wondering, you know, how could this have happened? There is a a pretty scathing news article: scenes of terror at the Quidditch World Cup, written by uh, Rita Skeeter. Rita Skeeter is uh, not very kind to the people working hard at the ministry. She even goes as far, not to, to name Mr. Weasley in all this, but uh, kind of Im uh, implicates him as one of, the, uh, one of the ministry officials who's not doing enough to take care of the, the people and to keep everyone informed. All right. I think that's most of uh, what we need to cover, so I think we can get into our chapter for today. As we proceed, please feel free to put any questions, comments, concerns, any new characters you want to talk about, anything like that, go ahead and put it in chat, I would love to talk about it. And uh, I'll pause midway, or I'll uh, save it for the end of the chapter, but I will get to it. So, let's do this. Chapter 11, Aboard the Hogwarts Express. There was a definite end of holiday's gloom in the air when Harry awoke the next morning. Heavy rain was still splattering against the window as he got dressed in jeans and a sweatshirt. They would change into their school robes on the Hogwarts Express. 
He, Ron, Fred, and George had just reached the first floor landing on their way down to breakfast when Mrs. Weasley appeared at the foot of the stairs, looking harassed. Arthur? She called up the stairs. Arthur? Urgent message from the Ministry. Harry flattened himself against the wall as Mr. Weasley came clattering past, with his robes on back to front and hurtled out of sight. When Harry and the others entered the kitchen, they saw Mrs. Weasley rummaging anxiously in the drawers. Oh, I've got a quill here somewhere. And Mr. Weasley bending over the fire, talking to... Harry shut his eyes hard and opened them again to make sure that they were working properly. Amos Diggory's head was sitting in the middle of the flames like a large bearded egg. It was talking very fast, completely unperturbed by the f sparks flying around it and the flames licking its ears. Muggle neighbors heard bangs and shouting, so they went and called those, uh, uh, what do you call them, please men? Arthur, you've got to get over here. Here, said Mrs. Weasley breathlessly pushing a piece of parchment, a bottle of ink, and a crumpled quill into Mr. Weasley's hands. "'There's a real stroke of luck I heard about it,' said Mr. Diggory's head. I'd, "'I had to come into the office early and send a couple of owls. I found the improper use of magic lawn all setting off. If Rita Skeeter gets hold of this one, Arthur—' "'What does Mad Eye say happened?' asked Mr. Weasley, unscrewing the ink bottle loading up his quill and preparing to take notes. Mr. Diggory's head rolled its eyes. Says he heard an intruder in the yard. Said he was creeping toward the house, but it was ambushed by his dustbins. What did the dustbins do? Asked Mr. Weasley, scribbling frantically. I made one hell of a noise and fired rubbish everywhere, as far as I can tell said Mr. Diggory. Apparently one of them was still rocketing around when the police men turned up. Mr. Weasley groaned. And what about the intruder? Arthur, you know Mad-Eye, said Mr. Diggory's head, rolling its eyes again. Someone creeping into his yard in the dead of night? More likely there's a very shell-shocked cat wandering around somewhere, covered in potato peelings. Uh, but if the improper use of magic lot get their hands on Mad-Eye, he's had it. Think of his record. We've got to get him off on a minor charge, something in your department. What are exploding dustbins worth? Uh, might be a caution, said Mr. Weasley. I am exposed. <laughs> Just a second. The bookcase has fallen indeed. Uh, yeah, my charm concealing the background uh, failed for a moment, but as you can see, uh, with the shimmers behind me, it is all back in place. Let's proceed, shall we? It might be a caution, said Mr. Weasley, still writing very fast, his brow furrowed. Mad I didn't use his wand. He didn't actually attack anyone. Now Betty leapt out of bed and started jinxing everything he could reach through the window, said Mr. Diggory. But I'll have a job proving it. There aren't any casualties. All right, I'm off, Mr. Weasley said, and he stuffed the parchment with his notes on it into his pocket and dashed out of the kitchen again. Mr. Diggory's head looked around at Mrs. Weasley, 
Sorry about this, Molly. Oh, excuse me. This is Mr. Diggory. Sorry about this, Molly, it said, more calmly. Bothering you so early and everything, but Arthur is the only one who can get Mad-Eye off, and Mad-Eye is supposed to be starting his new job today. Why did he have to choose last night? Never mind, Amos, said Mrs. Weasley. I'm sure you wouldn't have a bit of toast or anything before you go. Oh, go on then, said Mrs. said Mr. Diggory. Mrs. Weasley took a piece of buttered toast from a stack on the kitchen table, put it into the fire tongs, and transferred it into Mr. Diggory's mouth. Frank, he said in a muffled voice, and then, with a small vanished. Harry could hear Mr. Weasley calling hurried goodbyes to Bill, Charlie, Percy, and the girls. Within five minutes, he was back in the kitchen. His robe's on the right way now, dragging a comb through his hair. Ah, better hurry. You have a good turn, boys, said Mr. Weasley to Harry, Ron, and the twins, fastening a cloak over his shoulders and preparing to disapparate. Molly, are you going to be all right taking the kids to King's Cross? Of course I will, she said. You just look after Mad-Eye. We'll be fine. As Mr. Weasley vanished, Bill and Charlie entered the kitchen. Did someone say Mad-Eye? Bill asked. What's he been up to now? It says someone tried to break into his house last night, said Mrs. Weasley. Mad-Eye Moody, said George thoughtfully, spreading marmalade on his toast. Isn't he that nutter that... Your father thinks very highly of Mad-Eye Moody, said Mrs. Weasley sternly. Yeah, well, Dad collects plugs, doesn't he? said Fred quietly, as Mr. <laughs> as Mrs. Weasley left the room. Birds of a feather. Moody was a great wizard in his time, said Bill. He's an old friend of Dumbledore's, isn't he? said Charlie. Well, Dumbledore's not what you'd call normal, though, is he? said Fred. I mean, I know he's a genius and everything. Who is Mad-Eye Moody? asked Harry. He's retired. He used to work in the Ministry, said Charlie. I met him once, and Dad took me in to work with him. He was an horror. One of the best. A dark wizard catcher, he added, seeing Harry's blank look. Half the cells in Azkaban are full because of him. He made himself loads of enemies, though. Families the people that he caught, mainly. And I've heard he's getting really paranoid in his old age. Doesn't trust anyone anymore. Sees dark wizards everywhere. Bill and Charlie decided to come and see everyone off at King's Cross Station. But Percy, apologizing most profusely, said he really needed to get to work. I just can't justify taking more time off at the moment, he told them. Mr. Crouch is really starting to rely on me. Yeah, you know what, Percy? said George seriously. I reckon I might even know your name soon. Mrs. Weasley had braved the telephone in the village post office to order three ordinary muggle taxis to take them into London. Arthur tried to borrow a ministry car for us, Mrs. Weasley whispered to Harry as they stood in the rain-washed yard, watching the taxi drivers heaving six heavy Hogwarts trunks into their cars. But there weren't any to spare. 
Oh dear. They don't look happy, do they? Harry didn't like to tell Mrs. Weasley that muggle taxi drivers rarely transported overexcited owls, and Pigwidgeon was making an ear-splitting racket. Nor did it help that a number of filibusters' fabulous wet-start, no-heat fireworks went off unexpectedly when Fred's trunk sprang open, causing the driver carrying it to yell with fright and pain as Crookshanks clawed his way up the man's leg. The journey was uncomfortable, owing to the fact that they were jammed in the back of the taxis with their trunks. Kirkshanks took quite a while to recover from the fireworks, and by the time they entered London, Harry, Ron, and Hermione were all severely scratched. They were very relieved to get out at King's Cross, even though the rain was coming down harder than ever, and they got soaked carrying their trunks across the busy road and into the station. Harry was used to getting onto Platform 9 and 3 quarters by now. It was a simple matter of walking straight through the apparently solid barrier, dividing Platforms 9 and 10. The only tricky part was doing this in an unobtrusive way, so as to avoid attracting muggle attention. They did it in groups today. Harry, Ron, and Hermione, the most conspicuous, since they were accompanied by Pigwidgeon and Crookshanks, went first. They leaned casually against the barrier, chatting unconcernedly, and slid sideways through it. And as they did so, platform nine and three quarters materialized in front of them. The Hogwarts Express, a gleaming scarlet steam engine, was already there. Clouds of steam billowing from it, through which the many Hogwarts students and parents on the platform appeared like dark ghosts. Pigwidgeon became noisier than ever in response to the hooting of many owls through the mist. Harry, Ron, and Hermione set off to find seats, and were soon stowing their luggage in a compartment halfway along the train. They then hopped back down onto the platform to say goodbye to Mrs. Weasley, Bill, and Charlie. "'I might be seeing you all sooner than you think,' said Charlie, grinning as he hugged Ginny goodbye. "'Why?' said Fred keenly. "'You'll see.' said Charlie. Just don't tell Percy I mentioned it. It's classified information. Until such time as the Ministry sees fit to release it, after all. Yeah, sort of wish I was back at Hogwarts this year, said Bill, hands in his pockets looking almost wistfully at the train. Why? said George impatiently. You're going to have an interesting year, said Bill, his eyes twinkling. Might even have time off to come and watch a bit of it. A bit of what? said Ron. But at that moment the whistle blew, and Mrs. Weasley chivied them toward the train doors. Thanks for having us to stay, Mrs. Weasley, said Hermione, as they climbed on board, closed the door, and leaned out of the window to talk to her. Yeah, thanks for everything, Mrs. Weasley, said Harry. Oh, it was my pleasure, dears, said Mrs. Weasley. I'd invite you for Christmas, but, well, I expect you'd all going to want to stay at Hogwarts, what with one thing and another. Mum, said Ron irritably, what do you three know that we don't? You find out this evening, I expect, said Mrs. Weasley, smiling. Oh, it's going to be very exciting. Mind you, I'm glad they've changed the rules. What rules? 
said Harry, Ron, Fred, and George together. I'm sure Professor Dumbledore will tell you. Now behave, won't you? Won't you, Fred? And you, George? The pistons hissed loudly, and the train began to move. Tell us what's happening at Hogwarts, Fred bellowed out of the window as Mrs. Weasley, Bill, and Charlie sped away from them. What rules are they changing? But Mrs. Weasley only smiled and waved. Before the train had rounded the corner, she, Bill, and Charlie had disapparated. Harry, Ron, and Hermione went back to their compartment. The thick rain splattered the windows and made it very difficult to see out of them. Ron undid his trunk, pulled out his maroon dress robes, and flung them over Pigwidgeon's cage to muffle his hooting. Bagman wanted to tell us what was up in a dog waltz, he said grumpily, sitting down next to Harry. At the World Cup, remember? But my own mother won't say. I wonder what... "'Shh!' Hermione whispered suddenly, pressing her fingers to her lips and pointing toward the compartment next to theirs. Harry and Ron listened, and heard a familiar drawling voice drifting in through the open door. "'Father actually considered sending me to Darmstrang rather than Hogwarts, you know. He knows the headmaster, you see. Well, you know his opinion of Dumbledore. The man's such a mudblood lover.' Darmstrang doesn't admit that sort of riffraff. But Mother didn't like the idea of me going to school so far away. Father says Darmstrang takes a more sensible line than Hogwarts about the dark arts. Darmstrang students actually learn them, not just the defense rubbish that we do. Hermione got up, tiptoed to the compartment door, and slid it shut, blocking out Malfoy's voice. So he thinks Durmstrang would have suited him, does he? She said angrily. I wish he had gone. Then we wouldn't have to put up with him. Durmstrang is another wizarding school, said Harry. Yes, said Hermione stiffly. And it's got a horrible reputation. According to an appraisal of magical education in Europe, it puts a lot of emphasis on the dark arts. I think I've heard of it, said Ron vaguely. Where is it? What country? Well, nobody knows, do they? said Hermione, raising her eyebrows. Uh, why not? said Harry. There's traditionally been a lot of rivalry between all the magic schools. Dumbstrang and Bobaton like to conceal their whereabouts, so nobody can steal their secrets, said Hermione matter-of-factly. Oh, come off it, said Ron, starting to laugh. Dumbstrang's got to be the same size as Hogwarts. How are you going to hide that great big castle? But Hogwarts is hidden, said Hermione in surprise. Everyone knows that. Well, everyone who's read Hogwarts a history, anyway. So, just you then, said Ron. So go on, how do you hide a place like Hogwarts? It's bewitched, said Hermione. If a muggle looks at it, all they see is a mouldering old ruin. The sign of the entrance saying, Danger, do not enter. Unsafe. So, Durmstrang will just look like another ruin to an outsider too? Maybe, said Hermione, shrugging. Or it might have muggle-repelling charms on it, like the World Cup Stadium. And to keep foreign wizards from finding it, they've made it unplottable. Come again? Well, 
you can enchant a building so that it is impossible to plot on a map. Can't you? Um, if you say so, said Harry. But I think, I think Darmstrang must be somewhere up in the far north, said Hermione thoughtfully. Some are very cold because they've got fur capes as part of their uniforms. <laughs> think of the possibilities, said Ron dreamily. Would have been so easy to push Malfoy off a glacier, make it look like an accident. It's a shame that his mother likes him. The rain became heavier and heavier as the train moved further north. The sky was so dark and the windows so steamy that the lanterns were lit by midday. The lunch trolley came rattling along the corridor and Harry bought a large stack of cauldron cakes for them to share. Several of their friends looked in on them as the evening progressed, including Seamus Finnegan, Dean Thomas, and Neville Longbottom, a round-faced, extremely forgetful boy who had been brought up by his formidable witch of a grandmother. Seamus was still wearing his Ireland rosette. Some of its magic seemed to be wearing off now. It was still squeaking, Troy! Mullet! Moran! But in a very feeble and exhausted sort of way, after half an hour or so, Hermione, growing tired of the endless Quidditch talk, buried herself once more in the Standard Book of Spells, Grade 4, and started trying to learn a summoning charm. Neville listened jealously to the others' conversation as they relived the cup match. Rachel, I see you, and I shall. Grud did want me to go he said miserably. Wouldn't buy tickets. It sounded amazing, though. It was, said Ron. Look at this, Neville. Uh, General, welcome. You're really late, but you're here. Never you fear. Ron rummaged in his trunk, up in the luggage rack, and pulled out the miniature figure of Victor Crumb. Oh, wow said Neville enviously as Ron tipped Crum into his pudgy hand. We saw him right up close as well, said Ron. We were up in the top box. For the first and last time in your life, Weasley. Draco Malfoy had appeared in the doorway. Behind him stood Crab and Goyle, his enormous thuggish cronies, both of whom appeared to have grown at least a foot during the summer. Evidently, they had overheard the conversation through the compartment door, which Dean and Seamus had left ajar. I don't remember asking you to join us, Malfoy, said Harry coolly. Weasley, what is that? said Malfoy, pointing at Pigwidgeon's cage. A sleeve of Ron's dress robes, a sleeve of Ron's dress robes was dangling from it, swaying with the motion of the train. The moldy lace cuff very obvious. Ron made to stuff the robes out of sight, but Malfoy was too quick for him. He seized the sleeve and pulled. Look at this, said Malfoy in ecstasy, holding up Ron's robes and showing Crab and Goyle. Weasley, you weren't thinking of wearing these, were you? I mean, they were very fashionable in about 1890. Eat dung, Malfoy, said Ron. 
the same color as the dress robes, as he snatched them back out of Malfoy's grip. Malfoy howled with derisive laughter. Crabbe and Goyle guffawed stupidly. So, are you going to enter Weasley? Try and bring a bit of glory to your family name? There's money involved as well, you know. You'd be able to afford some decent robes if you won. What are you talking about? Snapped Ron. Are you going to enter? Malfoy repeated. I suppose you will, Potter. You'd never miss a chance to show off, do you? Either explain what you're on about, or go away, Malfoy, said Hermione testily, over the top of the standard book of spells, grade four. A gleeful smile spread across Malfoy's pale face. Don't tell me you don't know, he said delightedly. You've got a father and a brother at the ministry, and you don't even know. <laughs> My God. My father told me about it ages ago. I heard it from... Oh, he heard about it from Cornelius Fudge. But then, father's always associated with the top people at the ministry. Maybe your father's too junior to know about it, Weasley. Yes, they probably don't talk about important stuff in front of him. Laughing once more... Malfoy beckoned to Crab and Goyle, and then the three of them disappeared. Ron got to his feet and slammed the compartment door so hard behind them that the glass shattered. "'Ron!' said Hermione reproachfully, and she pulled out her wand, muttered, "'Reparo!' and the glass shards flew back into a single pane and back into the door. "'Well... Making it look like he knows everything, and we don't, Ron snarled. Father's always associated with the top people at the ministry. Dad could have got a promotion any time. He likes it where he is. Of course he does, said Hermione quietly. Don't let Malfoy get to you, Ron. Him? Get to me? As if, said Ron, picking up one of the remaining cauldron cakes and squashing it into a pulp. Ron's bad mood continued for the rest of the journey. He didn't talk much as they changed into their school robes, and was still glowering when the Hogwarts Express slowed down at last, and finally stopped in the pitch darkness of Hogsmeade Station. As the train doors opened, there was a rumble of thunder overhead. Hermione bundled up Crookshanks in her cloak, and Ron left his dress robes over Pigwidgeon as they left the train. Heads bent and eyes narrowed against the downpour. The rain was now coming down so thick and fast that it was as though buckets of ice-cold water were being emptied repeatedly over their heads. Hi, Hagrid! Harry yelled, seeing a gigantic silhouette at the far end of the platform. All right, Harry! Hagrid bellowed back, waving. I'll see you at the feast if we don't drown! First years traditionally reached Hogwarts Castle by sailing across the lake with Hagrid. Oh, I wouldn't fancy crossing that lake in this weather, said Hermione, fever said Hermione fervently, shivering as they inched slowly along the dark platform with the rest of the crowd. A hundred horseless carriages stood waiting for them outside the station. Harry, Ron, Hermione, and Neville climbed gratefully into one of them. The door shut with a snap, and a few moments later... With a great lurch, 
The long procession of carriages was rumbling and splashing its way up the track toward Hogwarts Castle. That is the end of chapter one. Let's go back to the library. Oof, look at my face. Look at it. I've got holes in my face. How do I... Is it just back here? Is this... Well, that's no good. Oh, am I getting like a... I'm getting weird sunspots. Help! Well, not much to be done about it, except just hang out way back here. Who needs who needs to see me? Let's be honest. Is seeing me an important part of this process? Anyway. Thanks for listening. For anybody who's just tuning in now, my name is Sam. This is Sidecar Stories. And we are in the midst of a start-to-finish read-through of the Harry Potter series, currently in the middle of Book 4, Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire. Again, I think I've said it enough, so I'll be short this time. But again, I didn't think we would make it this far. And I'm very excited that we have. Cheers to all of you. I'm going to take a quick break. It's going to be about five minutes, and then I'm going to be back. We're going to do some uh, uh, a quick update just on the channel. It's going to be very quick. I'm essentially just going to say hi to some of the new subs. I'll do a quick review of uh, what we saw in the, the chapter we just read for anybody who's just tuning in. And then finally, we'll be getting to our last chapter of the night. But immediately preceding the chapter, at the very end of the break, got some interesting news for you about Ike. So Rachel, if you're still here, you can just uh, wait five minutes. But if you're gone, I will text you momentarily. Okay. I'll see you all in about five minutes. Bye-bye. All right, everybody, welcome back. And a very special welcome to Madeline, first time watching live. Anjali, thank you. Thanks for coming. Uh, Androgynous Smile, of course. Thank you for being here. General. I'm not saying the full thing. I'm not going to do it. And Rachel, of course. Rachel's been... Uh, Rachel says she's going to be in and out tonight. Luke, how's it going? Thanks for being here. Um, let me go ahead and try to take this horrible, horrible spot off my noggin. It is just going to get worse as the night goes on. I have accepted that as a reality. There's a window right there. And uh, the light starts as excellent, and then as it goes down, then uh, my computer starts to read my face as closer and closer to my green screen in color, which is not great. So, Luke, Smile, Madeline, Anjali, yeah, my face, yeah, and Rachel. Uh, whenever Rachel's back in here, uh, got something maybe interesting to go over tonight. Uh, I've been giving you guys some updates on Ike the Dragon. Um, but additionally, I want to welcome, and you know, whenever they catch up to this, fantastic, uh, new subscriber, uh, Miranda Elaine. Uh, Springetta Fazbear. <laughs> Heather Larson. Um, Danielle Debari. And uh, I really appreciate all of you who... Uh, Grace Rhodes, I think I've seen before. Matter of fact, I may have overread on some of these. That's okay. That's all right. 
I don't mind double welcoming people. Better than missing somebody, right? Double welcome to you. Um, thank you to everybody who helped me, uh, who responded and helped me kind of figure out when it was going to be a good night uh, to move this thing so that we didn't have to stop it. Smile, you are exciting. I'm excited for you to be here, so you're exciting. And uh, Luke, thank you. I hope you're doing well as well. Now, um, let's go through a... Rachel's here. Okay, we're doing it. We're doing it right now then. So, as you guys know, I have been taking good care of an egg. This is sent to me from... Uh, Charlie Weasley, by way of Rachel. Um, now I've I've got most of the shell here. I've got most of the shell left right here, as you can see. Hold on, let me let me make sure I can see this properly. So, I've got most of the shell here. Um, as you can see, most of it's intact. He only needed a little hole to get out. But I want to introduce you guys to Ike himself. <laughs> It's Ike. It's Ike, the Ukrainian iron belly uh, dragonlet. The, the little dragon baby dragon. Boy, look at him. <laughs> this is Ike the dragon. My baby Ukrainian iron belly. My little hatchling. My little hatchling lad. Look at, look at, look how proud he is to be here. I realize it's small, but uh, I'm very excited about it. This is this is Ike, um, and I want you to, to meet my baby boy. <laughs> Rachel, thank you so much for uh, for being my my liaison and helping me to to uh, hatch this perfect perfect mascot for the show. I'm gonna cherish the egg. And I'm going to cherish Ike himself. <laughs> uh, I think I thank everyone who who bore with me throughout all of that. <laughs> Smile, thank you, thank you for uh, your your compliment for my sweet baby boy. Um, yeah, I do I do appreciate everyone who sort of bore with me for, throughout all of that. I know perhaps I overhyped it, but I'm very excited, and I really love him. Um, but uh, yeah, I got this uh, from straight from straight from Charlie Weasley by way of Rachel. So Rachel, thank you so much for being such a good friend of the show. Um, I love you so much. <laughs> Rachel says it looks so awesome. I look forward to being able to show it to you either in person or like I'll send you pictures too. Never you fear. I'm trying to get my my little comb out of my back pocket because my my I'm just looking wild today. Which is all right. Sometimes you got to go into it looking wild rather than, rather than letting it go by the wayside. You know, I like being here with you guys, so I wanted to do this, even if I'm not quite prepared for it. All right, Rachel, that was the big update. Again, anyone who thinks all this stuff is nonsense, go ahead and skip until you see channel art. But um, one additional update for the future. Rachel, I love you so so much. Regarding this little box that I've got here. Rachel, you can stick around just for this part. It'll be quick. Um, if you can see, I have a little box of every flavor beans here. Here's my plan with these. 
I'm going to try them. But I want your guys' help also because I want you guys to tell other people about this show. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to say for every, I like the number three, for every three subscribers, I'm going to eat one of these beans without knowing what's coming. All right. My number is currently 109. So however that number goes up, however many it goes up, that's how, but I'm going to, I'm going to eat one. I'm going to eat a bean for every three people that shows up. So that's new subscribers. Anytime that number goes from 109 to anything higher, be prepared for beans. Beans inbound. All right? So tell your friends about it. I think I'm, I'm pleased because I'm finally in a spot with the show where uh, you know, my, my environment is a little more consistent. And so I'm going to be able to do this without having the technical issues that bogged us down before. Because um, that always made me... I was, I felt kind of ashamed of it because I would, you know, I would, I would get really excited and I would talk about this thing and kind of hype it up. And then it would be, I, I'm not going to lie. It would be like unwatchable for you guys. And so that was, that was frustrating, but I finally feel like I'm in a good spot with it. So help me get the word out and I will eat beans for you. Uh, let me just give you a, a quick tasting menu here of what we've got. Uh, grass. Green apple, marshmallow, those will be fine. Rotten egg, sausage. I think I'm even more worried about sausage than about rotten egg. Lemon, soap, tutti frutti, vomit, watermelon, earwax, earthworm. I shudder to think what earthworm is going to taste like. Dirt, cinnamon, cherry, candy floss, booger, blueberry, Oh, black pepper. I've heard black pepper is terrible, terrible to, to endure. And banana. Those are the ones listed on the outside of this. If I have to get more, I will get more. But be ye prepared. So get the word out. And I'll, I'm going to show them to you guys with my eyes closed so you know what's coming and I don't. But uh, yeah, we will check in next week about that. Shall we? <laughs> okay, wonderful. Let's do a quick summary of last chapter. It's not much, let's be honest. Um, uh, Rachel, thanks for being here. If you've already had to, have, had to take off, I love you. I'll see you later. Um, so, last chapter. Um, essentially, heading to Hogwarts. Um, there's some mystery going on. Uh, Ron's family is being very mysterious. Yeah, smile. Or earthworm sounds like the worst. <laughs> I, I feel like grass is going to be fine, probably. Um, uh, vomit is probably just going to be like weird and I don't know. I I probably shouldn't just describe it, should I? That would be gross. But I feel like I, I'm I'm most nervous about earthworm. And then, like I said, I've heard really bad things about black pepper. Um, Ron's family is being mysterious as they make their way to the Hogwarts Express to make their way subsequently to Hogwarts. Um, they are mentioning, you know, that. The, 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 the kids might still want to be at school over the winter holidays. What's going on with that? Why would they want to stay? She says, she says, I would invite you to stay for Christmas, Harry, but she thinks they might want to stay. <clears throat> and none of the kids know what they're talking about, except, wait a second, Malfoy knows. Of course, um, he takes a, a gleeful enjoyment in the fact that 
um, Ron's father didn't tell him. You know, Ron's Ron's got a dad and a brother who both work at the ministry, and uh, from neither of them did Ron find out what's going on this year at Hogwarts. So he's gloating. And overall, that's most of what's the, what we've seen in this chapter so far. So I think we can proceed to our next one. As usual, if you've got anything you'd like to talk about, go ahead and put it in chat. I'd love to talk about it. Rachel, I love you. Um, and anyone who is following along, thank you so much for being here. This is why I do it. Chapter 12, The Triwizard Tournament. Through the gates, flank, oh, Harry could see Hogwarts coming nearer, its many lighted windows blurred and shimmering behind the thick curtain of rain. Lightning flashed across the sky as their carriage came to a halt in front of the great oak front doors, which stood at the top of a flight of stone steps. People who had occupied the carriages in front were already hurrying up the stone steps into the castle. Harry, Ron, and Hermione, and Neville jumped down from their carriage and dashed up to steps two, looking up only when they were safely inside the cavernous, torch-lit entrance hall, with its magnificent marble staircase. "'Blimey,' said Ron, shaking his head and sending water everywhere. "'That keeps up the lake's going to overflow. I'm so... Ah! A large red water balloon had dropped from the ceiling onto Ron's head and exploded. Drenched and spluttering, Ron staggered sideways into Harry just as a second water bomb dropped, narrowly missing Hermione. It burst at Harry's feet, setting a wave of cold water over his sneakers and into his socks. People all around them shrieked and started pushing one another in their efforts to get out of the line. Oh, excuse me, out of the line of fire. Harry looked up and saw, floating twenty feet above them, Peeves the poltergeist. The little man in bell-covered hat and orange bow tie, his wide, malicious face contorted with concentration as he took aim again. Peeves! yelled an angry voice. Peeves, come down here at once! Professor McGonagall, deputy headmistress and head of Gryffindor House, had come dashing out of the great hall. She skidded on the wet floor and grabbed Hermione around the neck to stop herself from falling. Ouch! Sorry, Miss Granger. It's all right, Professor, Hermione gasped, massaging her throat. Peeves, get down here now, barked Professor McGonagall, straightening her pointed hat and glaring upward through her square-rimmed spectacles. Not doing anything, cackled Peeves, lobbing a water bomb at several fifth-year girls who screamed and dived into the great hall. Dived. Dived. I just want to make sure I enunciated that properly. Already wet, aren't they? Little squats! <laughs> and he aimed another bomb at the group of second-year girls who had just arrived. I shall call the headmaster, shouted Professor McGonagall. I'm warning you, Peeves. Peeves stuck out his tongue, threw the last of his water bombs into the air, and zoomed off up the marble staircase, cackling insanely. Into the great hall, come on! Harry, Ron, and Hermione slipped and slid across the entrance hall and through the double doors on the right, Ron muttering furiously under his breath as he pushed his sopping hair off of his face. 
The great hall looked its usual splendid self, decorated for the start of term feast. Golden plates and goblets gleamed by the light of a hundred... Golden plates and goblets gleamed by the light of hundreds and hundreds of candles floating over the tops of the tables in midair. The four long house tables were packed with chattering students. At the top of the hall, the staff along one side of a fifth table facing their pupils. It was much warmer in here. Harry, Ron, and Hermione walked past the Slytherins, the Ravenclaws, and the Hufflepuffs, and sat down with the rest of the Gryffindors at the far side of the hall, next to nearly headless Nick, the Gryffindor ghost. Pearly white and semi-transparent, Nick was dressed tonight in his usual doublet, but with a particularly large ruff, which served the dual purpose of looking extra festive and ensuring that his neck didn't wobble too much on his partially severed neck. I think I said neck twice, didn't I? Ensuring that his head didn't wobble too much on his partially severed neck. Good evening, he said, beaming at them. Says who? said Harry, taking off his sneakers and emptying them of water. I hope they hurry up with the sorting. I'm starving. The sorting of the new students into houses took place at the start of every school year, but by an unlucky combination of circumstances, Harry hadn't been present at one since his own. He was quite looking forward to it. Just then, a highly excited, breathless voice called down the table. Hi, Harry. It was Colin Creevy. The third year to whom Harry was something of a hero. Hi, Colin, said Harry wearily. Harry, guess what? Guess what, Harry? My brother's starting. My brother Dennis. Um, good, said Harry. He's really excited, said Colin, practically bouncing up and down in his seat. I just hope he's in Gryffindor. Keep your fingers crossed, huh, Harry? Yeah, yeah, all right, said Harry. He turned back to Hermione, Ron, and nearly headless Nick. Brothers and sisters usually go in the same house, don't they? He said. He was judging by the Weasleys, all seven of whom had been put in Gryffindor. Oh, no, not necessarily, said Hermione. Bavati Patil's twin is in Ravenclaw, and they're identical. You'd think they'd be together, wouldn't you? Harry looked up at the staff table. There seemed to be rather more empty seats there than usual. Hagrid, of course, was still fighting his way across the lake with the first years. Professor McGonagall was presumably supervising the drying of the entrance hall floor, but there was another empty chair, too. And Harry couldn't think who else was missing. Where's the new Defense Against the Dark Arts teacher? said Hermione, who was also looking up at the teachers. They had never yet had a Defense Against the Dark Arts teacher, who had lasted more than three years. Oh, excuse me. Who had lasted more than three terms. Harry's favorite, by far, had been Professor Lupin, who had retired last year. He looked up and down the staff table. There were definitely no new faces there. I should clarify, who had resigned last year. Maybe they didn't get anyone, said Hermione, looking anxious. Harry scanned the table more carefully. 
tiny little Professor Flitwick, the charms teacher, was sitting on a large pile of cushions beside Professor Sprout, the herbology teacher, whose hat was askew over her flyaway gray hair. She was talking to Professor Sinistra of the astronomy department. On Professor Sinistra's other side was the sallow-faced, hook-nosed, greasy-haired potions master, Snape, Harry's least favorite person at Hogwarts. Harry's loathing of Snape was matched only by Snape's hatred of him, a hatred which had, if possible, intensified last year, when Harry had helped Sirius escape right under Snape's over-large nose. Snape and Sirius had been enemies since their own school days. On Snape's other side was an empty seat, which Harry guessed was Professor McGonagall's. Next to it, in the very center of the table, sat Professor Dumbledore, the headmaster, his sweeping silver hair and beard shining in the candlelight, his magnificent deep green robes embroidered with many stars and moons. The tips of Dumbledore's long, thin fingers were together, and he was resting his chin upon them, staring up at the ceiling through his half-moon spectacles as though lost in thought. Harry glanced up at the ceiling, too. It was enchanted to look like the sky outside, and he had never seen it look so stormy. Black and purple clouds were swirling across it, and as another thunderclap sounded outside, a fork of lightning flashed across it. "'Oh, hurry up,' Ron moaned beside Harry. "'I could eat a hippogriff.' The words were no sooner out of his mouth than the doors of the great hall opened and silence fell. Professor McGonagall was leaning a long mm, Professor McGonagall was leading a long line of first years up to the top of the hall. If Harry, Ron, and Hermione were wet, it was nothing to how these first years looked. They appeared to have swum across the lake rather than sailed. All of them were shivering with a combination of cold and nerves. As they filed along the staff table, and came to a halt at a line facing the rest of the school. All of them except the smallest of the lot, a boy with mousy hair, who was wrapped in what Harry recognized as Hagrid's moleskin overcoat. The coat was so big for him, it looked as though he were draped in a furry black circus tent. His small face protruded from the collar, looking almost painfully excited. When he had lined up with his terrified-looking peers, he caught Colin Creevy's eye, gave him a double thumbs up, and mouthed, I fell in the lake. He looked positively delighted about it. Professor McGonagall now placed a four-legged stool on the ground before the first years, and on top of it an extremely old, dirty, patched wizard's hat. The first years stared at it. So did everyone else. For a moment, there was silence. Then a long tear near the brim opened wide like a mouth, and the hat broke into song. A thousand years or more ago, when I was newly sown, there lived four wizards of renown whose names are still well known. Bold Gryffindor from Wildmoor, Fair Ravenclaw from Glen, Sweet Hufflepuff from Valley Broad, shrewd Slytherin from Fen. They shared a wish, a hope, a dream. They hatched a daring plan. 
to educate young sorcerers. Thus Hogwarts School began. Now each of these four founders formed their house for each. Did value different virtues. And the ones they had to teach. By Gryffindor the bravest were prized far beyond the rest. For Ravenclaw, the cleverest, would always be the best. For Hufflepuff, hard workers were most worthy of admission, and power-hungry Slytherin loved those of great ambition. While still alive, they did divide their favorites from the throng, yet how to pick the worthy ones when they were dead and gone. "'Twas Gryffindor who found the way. He whipped me off his head. The founders put some brains in me so I could choose instead." Now slip me snug around your ears. I've never yet been wrong. I'll have a look inside your mind and tell where you belong. The great hall rang with applause as the sorting hat finished. That's not the song it sang when it sorted us, said Harry, clapping along with everyone else. It sings a different one every week. It sings a different one every year, said Ron. It's got to be a pretty boring life, isn't it? Being a hat. I suppose it spends all year making up the next one. Smile says, I'm so mad the movie never added the song. I'm with you. There's a, there's a lot. There's a lot. <laughs> Professor McGonagall was now unrolling a large scroll of parchment. When I call out your name, you'll be put on the hat. <laughs> you will put on the hat and sit on the stool, she told the first years. When the hat announces your house, you will go and sit at the appropriate table. Ackerley, Stuart! A boy walked forward, visibly trembling from head to foot, picked up the sorting hat, put it on, and sat down in the stool. Ravenclaw! shouted the hat. Stuart Ackerley took off the hat and hurried to a seat at the Ravenclaw table, where everyone was applauding him. Harry caught a glimpse of Cho, the Ravenclaw Seeker, cheering Stuart Ackerley as he sat down. For a fleeting second, Harry had a strange desire to join the Slytherin table, too. Baddock! Malcolm! Slytherin! The table on the other side of the halls erupted with cheers. Harry could see Malfoy clapping as Baddock joined the Slytherins. Harry wondered whether Baddock knew the Slytherin house had turned out more dark witches and wizards than any other. Fred and George hissed Malcolm Baddock as he sat down. Branston, Eleanor, Hufflepuff, Caldwell, Owen, Hufflepuff, Creevy, Dennis. Tiny Dennis Creevy staggered forward, tripping over Hagrid's moleskin just as Hagrid himself sidled into the hall through a door behind the teacher's table. About twice as tall as a normal man, and at least three times as broad, Hagrid, with his long, wild, tangled black hair and beard, looked slightly alarming. A misleading impression, for Harry, Ron, and Hermione knew Hagrid to possess a very kind nature. He winked at them as he sat down at the end of the staff table and watched Dennis Creevy putting on the sorting hat. The rip at the brim opened wide. Gryffindor! The hat shouted. Hagrid clapped along with the Gryffindors as Dennis Creevy, beaming widely, 
took off the hat, placed it back on the stool, and hurried over to join his brother. Colin, I fell in, he said shrilly, throwing himself into an empty seat. It was brilliant, and something in the water grabbed me and pushed me back on the boat. Cool, said Colin, just as excitedly. It was probably the giant squid, Dennis. Wow, said Dennis, as though nobody in their wildest dreams could hope for more than being thrown into a storm-tossed, fathoms-deep lake and pushed out of it again by a giant sea monster. Dennis, Dennis, you see that boy down there? The one with the black hair and glasses? See him? Do you know who he is, Dennis? Harry looked away, staring very hard at the sorting hat, now sorting Emma Dobbs. The sorting hat continued. Boys and girls with varying degrees of fright on their faces moved one by one to the four-legged stool, the line dwindling slowly as Professor McGonagall passed the L's. Oh, hurry up, Ron moaned, massaging his stomach. Now, Ron, sorting's much more important than food, said nearly headless Nick, as, madly, Laura became a Hufflepuff. Of course it is, if you're dead, snapped Ron. I do hope this batch of Gryffindors aren't up to scratch, said nearly headless Nick, applauding as MacDonald, Natalie, joined the Gryffindor table. We don't want to break our winning streak, do we? Gryffindor had won the Interhouse Championship for the last three years in a row. Pritchard, Graham, Slytherin, Quirk, Ola, Ravenclaw, and finally with Whitby, Kevin, Hufflepuff, the sorting ended. Professor McGonagall picked up the hat and the stool and carried them away. Oh, about time, said Ron, seizing his knife and fork and looking expectantly at his golden plate. Professor McGonagall, hmm? Professor Dumbledore had gotten to his feet. He was smiling around at the students. His arms opened wide in welcome. I only have two words to say to you, he told them, his deep voice echoing around the hall. Tuck in! Hear, hear, said Harry and Ron loudly, as the empty dishes filled magically before their eyes. Nearly Headless Nick watched mournfully as Harry, Ron, and Hermione filled their own plates. Oh, that's better, said Ron, his mouth full of mashed potato. You're lucky there's a feast and all tonight, you know, said Nearly Headless Nick. There was trouble in the kitchens earlier. Why? What happened? said Harry. Doesn't sound like Harry, but he's supposed to have his mouth full. What are you going to do? Through a sizable chunk of steak. Uh, peeves, of course, said Nearly Headless Nick, shaking his head, which wobbled dangerously. He pulled his ruff a little higher up on his neck. Uh, the usual argument, you know. He wanted to attend the feast. Now, it's quite out of the question. You know what he's like. Utterly uncivilized. Can't see a plate of food without throwing it. We hold a ghost's council. The fat fry was all for giving me a chance, but most wisely, in my opinion, the bloody baron put down his foot. 
The bloody baron was the Slytherin ghost, a gaunt and silent specter covered in silver bloodstains. He was the only person at Hogwarts who could really control Peeves. Yeah, we thought Peeves seemed hacked off about something, said Ron darkly. So what did he do in the kitchens? Oh, the usual, said nearly headless Nick, shrugging. Wreaked havoc and mayhem. Pots and pans everywhere, placed swimming in soup, terrified the house elves out of their wits. Clang. Hermione had knocked over her golden goblet. Pumpkin juice spread steadily over the tablecloth, standing several feet of white linen orange, but Hermione paid no attention. There are house elves here, she said, staring horror-struck at nearly headless Nick. Here at Hogwarts? Certainly, said nearly headless Nick, looking surprised at her reaction. The largest number in any dwelling in Britain, I believe. Over a hundred. I've never seen one, said Hermione. Well, they hardly ever leave the kitchen by day, do they? said nearly headless Nick. Come out at night and do a bit of cleaning, see to the fires and so on. I mean, you're, you're not supposed to see them, are you? That's the mark of a good house elf, isn't it? You don't know it's there. Hermione stared at him. But they get paid, she said. They get holidays, don't they? And sick leave and pensions and everything. Nearly headless Nick chortled so much that his ruff slipped and his head flopped off, dangling on the inch or so of ghostly skin and muscle that still attached it to his neck. <laughs> sick leave and pensions, he said, pushing his head back onto his shoulders and securing it once more with his ruff. How's elves don't want sick leaves and pensions? Hermione looked down at her hardly touched plate of food, then put her knife and fork down upon it and pushed it away from her. Oh, come on, Hermione, said Ron, accidentally spraying Harry with bits of Yorkshire pudding. Oh, sorry, Harry. He swallowed. You won't get them sick leave by starving yourself. Slave labour, said Hermione, breathing hard through her nose. That's what made this dinner. Slave labour. And she refused to eat another bite. The rain was still drumming heavily against the glass of the dark, high windows. Another clap of thunder shook the windows, and the stormy ceiling flashed illuminating the golden plates as the remains of their first course vanished and were replaced instantly with puddings. Treacle tart, Hermione, said Ron, deliberately wafting its smell toward her. Spotted dick, look, chocolate gâteau. But Hermione gave him a look so reminiscent of Professor McGonagall that he gave up. When the puddings too had been demolished, and the last crumbs had faded off the plates, leaving them sparkling clean, Albus Dumbledore got to his feet again. The buzz of chatter filling the hall ceased almost at once, so that the only sound was the howl of the wind and the pounding rain. So, said Dumbledore, smiling around at all of them, now that we are all fed and watered, hmm, said Hermione, I must ask once more for your attention. 
while I give out a few notices. Mr. Filch, the caretaker, has asked me to tell you that the list of objects forbidden inside the castle this year has been extended to include screaming yo-yos, fanged frisbees, and ever-bashing boomerangs. The full list comprises some 437 items, I believe, and can be viewed in Mr. Filch's office if anyone would like to check it. Pardon me, I've got a young Cerberus dog. He's still learning how to howl. Two of the heads have got it down, it seems, but uh, the third one is just catching up. Bit of a runt. The corners of Dumbledore's mouth twitched. He continued. As ever, I would like to remind you all that the forest on the grounds is out of bounds to students, as is the village of Hogsmeade to all below third year. It is also my painful duty to inform you that the Interhouse Quidditch Cup will not take place this year. What? Harry gasped. He looked around at Fred and George, his fellow members of the Quidditch team. They were mouthing soundlessly at Dumbledore, apparently too, apparently too appalled to speak. Dumbledore went on. This is due to an event that will be starting in October, and continuing throughout the school year, taking up much of the teacher's time and energy. But I am sure you will all enjoy it immensely. I have great pleasure in announcing it that this year at Hogwarts... But at that moment there was a deafening rumble of thunder, and the doors of the great hall banged open. A man stood in the doorway, leaning on a long staff, clouded in a dark cloak. Every head in the great hall swiveled toward the stranger. Suddenly... <laughs> Excuse me. Suddenly brightly illuminated by a fork of lightning that flashed across the ceiling. He lowered his hood, shook out a long mane of grizzled, dark gray hair, and began to walk up toward the teacher's table. A dull clunk echoed through the hall on his every other step. He reached the end of the top table, turned right, and limped heavily toward Dumbledore. Another flash of lightning crossed the ceiling. Hermione gasped. The lightning had thrown the man's face into sharp relief, and it was a face unlike any Harry had ever seen. It looked as though he had been carved out of weathered wood by someone who had only the vaguest idea of what human faces were supposed to look like, and was none too chilled, and was none too skilled with a chisel. Every inch of skin seemed to be scarred. The mouth looked like a diagonal gash, and a large chunk of the nose was missing. But it was the man's eyes that made him frightening. One of them was small, dark, and beady. The other was large, round as a coin, and a vivid electric blue. The blue eye was moving ceaselessly, without blinking, and was rolling up, down, from side to side, quite independently of the normal eye. And then it rolled right over, pointing into the back of the man's head, so that they could all see it was whiteless. Oh, excuse me. So that all they could see was whiteness. That makes more sense. The stranger reached Dumbledore. He stretched out a hand that was as badly scarred as his face, and Dumbledore shook it, muttering words Harry couldn't hear. He seemed to be making some inquiry of the stranger, who shook his head unsmilingly and returned in an undertone.
Dumbledore nodded and gestured the man to the empty seat at his right-hand side. The stranger sat down, shook his mane of dark gray hair out of his face, pulled a plate of sausages toward him, raised it to what was left of his nose, and sniffed it. Sniffed it. He then took a small knife out of his pocket, speared a sausage on the end of it, and began to eat. His normal eye was fixed upon the sausages, but the blue eye was still darting restlessly around its socket, making the hall, oh, taking in the hall on the students. May I introduce you to our new defense against the dark arts teacher? said Dumbledore brightly into the silence. Professor Moody. It was usual for new staff members to be greeted with applause, but none of the staff or students clapped except Dumbledore and Hagrid, who both put their hands together and applauded, but the sound echoed dismally into the silence, and they stopped fairly quickly. Everyone else seemed too transfixed by Moody's bizarre appearance to do more than stare at him. Moody? Harry muttered to Ron. Mad-Eye Moody? The one that your dad went to help this morning? Must be, said Ron in a low, awed voice. What happened to him? Hermione whispered. What happened to his face? Don't know. Ron whispered back, watching Moody with fascination. Moody seemed totally indifferent to this less-than-warm welcome. Ignoring the, jug the jug of pumpkin juice in front of him, he reached again into his traveling cloak, pulled out a hip flask, and took a long draught from it. As he lifted his arm to drink, the cloak was pulled a few inches from the ground, and here he saw, below the table, several inches of carved wooden leg, ending in a clawed foot. Dumbledore cleared his throat. As I was saying, he said, smiling at the sea of students before him, all of whom were gazing transfixedly at Mad-Eye Moody. We are going to have the honor of hosting a very exciting event over the coming months, an event that has not been held for over a century. It is my very great pleasure to inform you that the Triwizard Tournament will be taking place at Hogwarts this year. You're joking, said Fred Weasley loudly. The tension that filled the hall ever since Moody's arrival suddenly broke. Nearly everyone laughed, and Dumbledore chuckled appreciatively. I am not joking, Mr. Weasley, he said. Though now that you mention it, I did hear an excellent one over the summer about a troll, a hag, and a leprechaun who all went into a bar. Professor McGonagall cleared her throat loudly. Um, but maybe this is not the time. No, said Dumbledore. Well, as I... Um, yes, uh, the Triwizard Tournament. Well, some of you will not know what this tournament involves, so I hope that those who do will forgive me for giving a short explanation and allow their attention to wander freely. The Triwizard Tournament was first established some seven hundred years ago, as a friendly competition between the three largest European schools of wizardry, Hogwarts, Bobatons, and Durmstrang. A champion was selected to represent each school, and the three champions competed in three magical tasks. The schools took it in turns to host the tournament once every five years, 
and it was generally agreed to be the most excellent way of establishing ties between young witches and wizards of different nationalities. Until, that is, the death hole, the death toll mounted so high that the tournament was discontinued. Death toll? Hermione whispered, looking alarmed, but her anxiety did not seem to be shared by the majority of the students in the hall. Many of them were whispering excitedly to one another, and Harry himself was far more interested in hearing about the tournament than in worrying about deaths that had happened hundreds of years ago. There have been several attempts over the centuries to reinstate the tournament. National Magical Corporation and Magical Games and Sports have decided the game is up for another attempt. We have worked hard over the summer to ensure that this time no champion will find himself or herself in mortal danger. The heads of Bobatons and B Durmstrang will be arriving with their shortlisted contenders in October, and the selection of the three champions will take place at Halloween. An impartial judge will decide which students are most worthy to compete for the Triwizard Cup, the glory of their school, and a thousand galleons, personal prize money. I'm going for it. Fred Weasley hissed down the table, his face lit with enthusiasm at the prospect of such glory and riches. He was not the only person who seemed to be visualizing himself as the Hogwarts champion. At every house table, Harry could see people either gazing raptly at Dumbledore or else whispering fervently to their neighbors. But then Dumbledore spoke again, and the hall quieted once more. Eager though I know all of you will be to bring the... Triwizard Cup to Hogwarts, he said. The heads of the participating schools, along with the Ministry of Magic, have agreed to impose an age restriction on contenders this year. Only students who are of age, that is to say, seventeen years or older, will be allowed to put forward their names for consideration. This, Dumbledore raised his voice slightly, for several people had made noises of outrage at these words, and the Weasley twins were suddenly looking furious. This is a measure we feel is necessary, given that the tournament tasks will still be difficult and dangerous, whatever precautions we take. It is highly unlikely that students below sixth and seventh year will be able to cope with them. I will personally be ensuring that no underage wizards... I will personally be ensuring that no underage student hoodwinks our impartial judge into making them the Hogwarts champion. His light blue eyes twinkled as they flickered over Ron, Fred and George's mutinous faces. I therefore beg you not to waste your time submitting yourself if you are under seventeen. The delegations from Bobatons and Durmstrang will be arriving in October and remaining with us for the greater part of this year. I know that you will extend every courtesy to our foreign guests while they are with us, and will give your wholehearted support to the Hogwarts champion when he or she is selected. And now it is late. I know how important it is for you all to be alert and rested as you enter your lessons tomorrow morning. Bedtime! Chop-chop! Dumbledore sat down again and turned to talk to Mad-Eye Moody. There was a great scraping and banging as all of the students got to their feet and swarmed toward the double doors to the entrance hall. Well, they can't do that, said George Weasley, who had not joined the crowd moving toward the door, but was standing up and glaring at Dumbledore. 
We're 17 in April. Why can't we have a shot? They're not stopping me from entering, said Fred stubbornly, also scowling at the top table. The champions are getting to do all sorts of stuff you'd never be allowed to do normally. And a thousand galleons of prize money. Yeah, said Ron, a faraway look on his face. Yeah, a thousand galleons. Come on, said Hermione. We'll be the only ones left here if you don't move. Harry, Ron, Hermione, Fred and George set off for the entrance hall. Fred and George debating the ways in which Dumbledore might stop those who were under 17 from entering the tournament. Who's this impartial judge who's going to decide who the champions are? said Harry. Dunno, but it's them we'll have to fool. I reckon a couple of drops of agent potion might do it, George. Dumbledore knows that you're not of age, though, said Ron. Yeah, but it's not he who decides who the champion is, is he? said Fred shrewdly. Sounds to me like once this school knows who wants to enter, I'll choose the best from each school. Never mind how old they are. Dumbledore's trying to stop us from giving our names. People have died, though, said Hermione in a worried voice as they walked through a door concealed behind a tapestry and started up another narrower staircase. Yeah, said George airily. But that was years ago, wasn't it? Anyway, where's the fun without a bit of risk? Hey, Ron! What if we find out how to get around Dumbledore? Do you fancy entering? What do you reckon? Ron asked Harry. Be cool to enter, wouldn't it? But I suppose they might want someone older. Don't know if we learned enough. <sighs> oh, I definitely haven't, came Neville's gloomy voice from behind Fred and George. I expect my granddad want me to try, though. She's always going on about how I should be upholding the family honour. I've just got to... Oops! Neville's foot had sunk right through a step halfway up the staircase. There were many of these trick stairs at Hogwarts. It was second nature to most of the older students to jump this particular step, but Neville's memory was notoriously poor. Same. Harry and Ron seized him under the armpits and yanked him out, while the suit of armor at the top of the stairs creaked and clanked, laughing wheezily. Shut it, you, said Ron banging down its visor as they passed. They made their way up to the entrance to the Gryffindor Tower, which was concealed behind a large portrait of a fat lady in a pink silk dress. Password? she said as they approached. Balderdash, said George. A prefect downstairs told me. The portrait swung open to reveal a hole in the wall through which they all climbed. A crackling fire swarmed. A crackling fire warmed the circular common room, which was full of squashy armchairs and tables. Hermione cast the merrily dancing flames a dark look, and Hermione distinctly heard her mutter, Slave labor! before bidding them good night and disappearing through the doorway into the girls' dormitory. Harry, Ron, and Neville climbed up the last spiral staircase until they reached their own dormitory, which was situated at the top of the tower. 
Five four-poster beds with deep crimson hangings stood against the walls, each with its own owner's trunks at the foot. Dean and Seamus were already getting into bed. Seamus had pinned his Ireland rosette to his headboard, and Dean had tacked up a poster of Victor Crumb over his bedside table. His old poster of the West Ham football team was pinned right next to it. Mental, Ron sighed, shaking his head at the completely stationary soccer players. Harry, Ron, and Neville got into their pajamas and got into bed. Someone, a house elf no doubt, had placed warming pans between the sheets. It was extremely comfortable, lying here in bed and listening to the storm raging outside. I might go in for it, you know, Ron said sleepily through the darkness. If Fred and George find out how to, the tournament... You never know, do you? I suppose not. Harry rolled over in bed, a series of dazzling new pictures forming in his mind's eye. He had hoodwinked the impartial judge into believing he was seventeen. He had become Hogwarts champion. He was standing on the grounds, his arms raised in triumph in front of the whole school, all of whom were applauding and screaming. He had just won the Triwizard Tournament. Cho's face stood out in particular, clearly in the blurred crowd, her face glowing with admiration. Harry grinned into his pillow, exceptionally glad that Ron couldn't see what he could. And that is the end of our chapter. Thank you all for listening. I enjoy this so much. Androgynous Mount, you gotta be careful with those eggs. They'll get you. I can't tell you how many times I burned my fingers on this thing when it was still getting, still starting to hatch. My my pinky on my left hand is still a little a little bit raw, but we've got a new friend out of the deal. Thank you all so much for listening. My name is Sam. This is Sidecar Stories. You can find out uh, more about this. I try to keep things updated right here on YouTube. I'm trying to sort out how best I can sort of reach new people. Um, so, if you want to help me out with that, go ahead. Because I have promised you, after all, for every three new subscribers, and my, my number starts at 109, for every three subscribers, I'm popping one of those beans. All right? And again, you guys are going to get to see what's coming before I do. But uh, we're going to do it at the end of the day. Uh, it would be fantastic to get more people in here listening. Androgynous says, it's a, it was a great read tonight. Thank you. I thought it went well. Um, it is cooking in here right now. So I'm going to go ahead and sign off. But if uh, anyone's curious, um, I have set up a Discord and uh, if you like that sort of thing, I do. I'm, I'm starting to be a pretty big fan of Discord. Uh, go ahead and hop in there. The, the link is in the description. Um, you can jump in there and I can continue to chat with anyone who wants to continue to chat um, about uh, all the interesting things going on in the wizarding world. Thank you all so much for listening. Uh, we're going to talk about it more later. 
but I do want to just, I guess, preface my my coming discussions uh, and say that pay attention to what Hermione is doing here. Um, I think this is, you know, there are a lot of important things that we can learn from these books, but pay attention to her her feelings about injustice and what there is to be done about it. Keep an eye on that as we're as we're moving forward. She sets a pretty good example here. As she does in many things. As always, thanks so much for listening. Uh, and I will see you next week. I'm going to try again on Thursday, I think. Um, unless something changes. In which case, I will post my, my little announcement video thing up here on, uh, on YouTube. By the way, for all those, you can always find the information. I'll, I'll have a title, but there will be more information in the description of the video itself. Um, you needn't bother watching the video. Just read the description. Because I don't have enough subscribers yet for it to just let me post, like, YouTube stories. So, hey, let's get there, shall we? Then you don't have to watch the video, and instead you can watch me eat beans. Nothing better than watching Sidecar Sam eat beans. Have a great week, y'all. <laughs> Bye-bye.